on the Spirit, trying to discern what he's doing in that there's an opportunity for uh, my wife and I and this church to send us to help plant another church. And as I've said over these weeks, uh, there have been, um, you know, many reasons why I couldn't just walk away from this, why I couldn't just let it go. And so in discerning the heart of God and trying to hear his voice, we've been in this series of sermons where we've been looking at the book of Acts, uh, we've been listening to the church, you guys are having amazing conversations, and again, this has just been absolutely incredible for me to listen to the church ask the hard questions of what is my Christianity about and, and why do I come to Taproot Church and is Taproot Church family for me or am I there for other reasons? Just all of these absolutely wonderful questions are being asked and what's rising to the surface is just this wonderful need to soak in the Spirit and just listen to the Spirit as a community of people. So I had planned uh, on this fifth and final session of this series to do uh, a sermon from Acts chapter 20, and we were going to look at how uh, they do gospel goodbyes. But I didn't want anybody to panic and think, oh man, it's, it's, it's on, because we don't know what's happening. And as I was praying, I really thought, okay, what we need to do as a community of faith is we need to listen to Jesus. We need to hear his voice. And we don't know how long that's going to take. We don't know exactly how he's going to speak. We don't even know what he's going to say. But I think that each of you are going to deeply appreciate learning to listen to the voice of God. So let me pray for us. We're going to get after it for like 30 minutes. Then we're going to take communion. And then we're going to get out of here and go get into the sunshine. All right? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. And we thank you, God, that you do speak to us. You love us. And you care, you care for every one of these individuals infinitely. You care for them in ways that we can't even comprehend. You know them by name. You know me by name. You know Taproot Church by name. You know every detail about us. And you know how to guide us. Father, thank you that we are indeed merely sheep. We are not lions, we are not eagles, we are silly, foolish, lost sheep that you have found. And so Father, today, for each one of us, would you speak to our hearts? Would you settle us? Would you bring us into those still waters and those green pastures where we can reside and abide in your love? We worship you in this time. We exalt you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm 40 now, and I'm experiencing all sorts of things that come with getting a little bit older. For example, I'm a little bit more bald than I have been in my previous years. I've got some more gray in my beard. And yes, I actually am growing a mustache, by the way, if you're wondering. Uh, I've seen all these 20-year-old hipsters with their little scraggly mustaches, so I feel like they've given me like cultural permission to do something I've always wanted to do. So you guys are going to have to deal with the mustache through the summer. Just, it is what it is. <laughs> As I've gotten older, I've noticed that my joints are a little bit more creaky, but one of the more difficult things that I've noticed is I'm increasingly having a hard time hearing. I can't hear things, especially if I'm concentrating on something. And so if, if I'm concentrating on, like, say I'm working on my computer and my son comes up to talk to me, it's just like, 
I cannot multitask anymore. I can't chew gum and walk at the same time. It's, I have to pay attention to too many different things. And the older I'm getting, the harder it is for me to hear. And so especially in a crowd, I'll find myself going like this. I have to position my hand behind my ear and constantly, especially in restaurants, I'll be like, what did you say? Could you repeat? I'm so sorry. Excuse me. What did you say? My kids think it's hilarious. They call me dopey because when we're watching a movie downstairs, our basement is usually pretty chilly. And so I'll have a beanie on, but I can't hear because the beanie is covering up my ears. So I'll lift my beanie up and I'll push the beanie down to where it holds my ears like this. <laughs> so I sit there and I watch, they've taken pictures of me and they call me daddy dopey because I'm watching the movie with my ears pushed out like this. So I have, to, I have to position myself and position my ears particularly so that I can hear, so that I can hear. I have to position my ear so that I can hear. And that's all we want to talk about this morning. How do we position ourselves with our good shepherd to hear him? How do we hear his voice? Because there are indeed necessary particular positions that we each have to take to actually hear his voice. Now, the sermon this morning is going to apply to you personally. It's going to apply to the situation and the, the, the prayer process that we're involved in as a church corporately. And it's going to apply to everything that we are as Christians. How do we position ourselves to actually hear the voice of Jesus? Three simple steps, three simple points this morning, positioning ourselves to hear Jesus' voice. Number one this morning, let's get to the basics. We need to position ourselves in prayer and in the Bible. These are the staples. These are the meat and potato disciplines of healthy Christian living. I find it fascinating that we live in a time, in the United States in particular, where there are more podcasts, there are more theologians writing in this day and age, there is more access to theological material than the church has ever had in its entire history, and yet Western Christians, particularly professional urban Western Christians, are more Bible anemic and less Bible aware than the church has ever been in her entire history. That's really a tragedy, and this is why. If we are not exercising consistent practice of prayer, and if we are not in some sort of rhythmic reading of our Bibles on a daily basis, we are absolutely deaf. My beloved brother and sister, please, I plead with you this morning, don't deceive yourself. If we are not in a process of prayer, rhythmic prayer, communicating with the God that we love, trying to hear from him, and if we don't have a rhythmic place where we find ourselves in the Bible, even when it's confusing, even when we don't understand it, if we're not in the Bible, we are totally deaf. I think for some Christians... They're so confused and they cry out, God, why won't you speak to me? Oh God, where are you? And the Lord is like thumping them over the head with his Bible saying, just open the book. Just spend a little time reading it. 
Now, a couple thoughts here on prayer before we move on to our second position that we take to hear the voice of Jesus. Prayer is more than just asking God for goodies. It's more than just poking at him saying, give me my three wishes. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. We pray to him as children, and children are obnoxious. Dad, I want this. Dad, I want that. I call my children the the financial black hole. I get paid, and next thing I know, all of the money goes into the black hole called my children because they want, they want, they want, they need. They ask constantly for something. We get to do that with our God. That's part of what spurs us on. But there's something amazing that happens with our children as they begin to mature. We begin to dialogue with them. Do you really need that? Are you sure you really want that? And then they have a conversation back with us, and it's a relationship, and we can guide them through more dialogue than through disciplinary process. Prayer is really, truly prayer when we take up a position of listening silently, listening in the stillness, getting quiet with our God, True prayer, deep prayer, prayer that God is enthralled with and excited about is when the human being says, I'm going to sit here in the stillness. I'm not going to request anything. I've made my requests. I'm not going to confess anything now. I've, con- I've made my confession. I'm not even going to bring praise and gratitude. I've done that in my prayer process. Now I'm going to sit and just let God speak to me. I'm just going to sit and be in his presence. On Bible study and meditation, I want to encourage you guys to essentially learn a new language. The reason we don't read our Bibles, a lot of us, is because we don't understand it. And that's okay. That's all right. The Bible is a very difficult book. It's a big book. It's an ancient book with ancient cultural ideas in it. But can you imagine if you were going to go and you had been invited by the Uh, what's a country with a king? Let's just pretend that Spain had a king, okay? And the king had invited you to come and rule and reign over all of the country. All of his wealth, all of his goods was all going to be given to you. But it was in Spain. You would surely learn Spanish. You would want to know more than donde es baño, (laughs) You would want to be able to communicate with the king to hear from him all the things that he wants to give to you, all the things that he wants to do through you. And so you would get a basic understanding of how to hear the king, how to be guided by him. You would learn basic words. But then once you had moved to Spain, you would find yourself saying, I want to hear more from this king. I don't want to miss any word he has to say to me. So you would study not only Spanish, but you would also learn Latin and the roots of the language. You would put effort into learning how to hear the king. The Bible is like learning a new language. If you want to hear from him, you've got the basics, the gospel, the good news that God loves you, God cares for you, God has forgiven you, God accepts you, this is his word. We've got all of those things, but as Christians, our next step is saying, I want to hear everything that he says about me and towards me and for me, and so I'm going to put in some effort. And guys, there is a zillion ways to learn how to read the Bible, a zillion ways. Um, I leave this afternoon to get on a train and go spend a week with a guy named Tim Mackey who created the Bible Project, and I cannot, I cannot 
give you guys enough encouragement, watch these videos. Tim and those guys are doing an amazing job putting together these short little videos that will help you understand books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and and Nahum, these obscure prophets that mean nothing to us. There are short little 10-minute videos where you can be like, whoa, that's an amazing book, and it takes 10 minutes. Would you take 10 minutes if you knew the king of Spain was going to give you all the riches in the world to learn Spanish? I think you would. Get to the root, get to the root, church, of prayerlessness and Biblelessness. Get to the root of that. Discern that. Find out why that is the case. Second, we position ourselves in the basics. We position ourselves in prayer in the Bible, but we also position ourselves in community to hear the voice of God. Now, I'm going to put a spin on this this morning. We talk about community at Taproot Church virtually every Sunday, but I'm going to put a spin on this this morning so that it kind of... It's, it's going to kind of jank in our ear a little bit the way that I'm going to spin this. So listen carefully. To hear the voice of God, we have to hear the voice of God in the midst of community. In American culture, we are swimming in an aquarium of individuality. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Do you guys remember being at the pool and you would go under the water? Can you hear anything? Outside of the pool, like your mom's yelling at you to get out of the pool, it's time to go. And I remember always going underneath the water, and I'd come up, well, I can't hear you. Back underneath the water, I would go. We are swimming in this cultural ethos. It's like water in our ears. It's like we're in this pool of individuality. And so when I start using the words community and God speaks to us in community, it's like we're under the water. And it's sermons like these where mom is saying, hey, come up out of the water. I need to speak to you. I want to, I want to make you aware of something. And so here in our passage, it's very important to see that Jesus said, my sheep. You are my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. Sheep there is plural. Not my, oh, you cute little sheep, but my sheep together plural, hear my voice. When they are together, they hear my voice. When they are in the fold together, they hear my voice. And there's a very important kind of little excursive parentheses that I want to put in place here. I cannot stress this enough. A sheep that is alone, a sheep, a singular sheep that is alone, not invested and committed to deep relationships within a community of faith, is a sheep in a very dangerous place very dangerous. A sheep that is separated is more liable to be wounded, more, more, more likely to be uh, taken by a wolf, more likely to get sick, more likely to go hungry. And yet this morning, and granted, when the sun comes out in Seattle, I get it. And yet there are Christians all across this nation who are saying, no, I don't need to be part of a church. I don't need to be committed to a church. No, I don't need to be there in a regular rhythmic way. No, I don't need to have a small group of friends that I share my life with. No, I'm, I'm an individual American Christian. And it's like they are under the water and they cannot hear Jesus saying, my sheep hear my voice. Very dangerous place to be. Don't get me wrong here. God is speaking to you individually. He speaks to your heart. He speaks to your wounds. He speaks to your hurts. He speaks to your fears personally. But what I want to highlight here is that if we want to hear God more clearly, we listen personally and we listen in the midst of community, 
But we've got to get to a place where we're not just saying, okay, I'm going to go to community because Pastor Danny says that that's where God's going to speak to me. If you really want to hear him, you need to recognize that what he's saying is for the sake of the community. He is speaking to you for the sake of the community. What he wants to say to you is for you and it's for others around you. You see, we go and we are thinking that God wants to have a particular conversation with only us. Here, I'm going to meet all your needs. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to heal you. Those things are true. But we're not hearing the other side of the conversation where God is saying, I'm going to bless through you. I'm going to protect through you. I'm going to provide through you for the sake of the people around you. And so to hear God, God speaks in plural. He speaks in plural. And beyond this, God speaks, as I was thinking about this, his words, his language to us, it is, it is big. What do I mean by this? It is big. Let's just walk through these points. It is big. It is plural. God speaks to us as a global community. So I put up there, God speaks to a global community through history. When we see God speaking to an individual, he is always creating a particular people for himself that he's going to accomplish his purposes in the world through in the midst of history. And so as we're listening to God, as we're asking him to speak to us, we need to be listening for what he's saying about Burian. We need to be listening to what he's saying and what he wants to do through us as a community of faith in the Northwest, in the United States, in the global community. If we actually want to hear his voice, we have to think bigger and broader than just this little tiny space called me, and we have to get out into God. What are you saying to us about the nations? Because that's where we're going to hear him. That's where he's speaking. That's where his voice becomes crystal clear. Number two, number two, God speaks in history to actually leave a legacy. This is a very important point. You guys have heard me pray a number of times. I've prayed this since I became a Christian. That God would use myself and my wife and my children and the church that I am a part of to touch it's a ridiculous prayer, but to touch every soul on this planet in this generation and a thousand generations to come. I pray that prayer often, often, multiple times a week. a week. God actually wants to speak into your situation to leave a legacy that goes far beyond you. So we have an example in the book of 2 Kings, uh, chapter 20, of somebody that didn't listen to God for the sake of a legacy. So there's this king and his name is Hezekiah. Hezekiah in the book of Kings is actually a relatively good king. Uh, we see that he is attacked by uh, Assyria and this wicked general called the Reb Sheka, such a wicked name, the Reb Sheka, comes and just talks about how he's like yelling at them and taunting them and Hezekiah is like, no, we're gonna trust God, we're not gonna be afraid of you, does really good there. There's another scene in Hezekiah's life where he gets terminally ill and so he, he falls down before Yahweh and he says, oh God, please think about my life. I've been faithful to you. Give me life. Don't let me die. And God grants his prayer. God hears his prayer and says, okay, I'm going to give you another 15 years. But towards the end of Hezekiah's life, we have this really fascinating story where these representatives from Babylon come to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah essentially takes them on a tour of Jerusalem shows them the temple, shows them all of the treasures, shows them all of the wealth. And the story intimates that 
Hezekiah is naively trusting Babylon. You're my good friends. You're not our enemies. Everything's going to be good. We're chums. We're pals. Come check it all out. And the prophet Isaiah comes after these Babylonian representatives leave, and he asks Hezekiah, what all did you show them? And Hezekiah says, I showed him everything. We're good buddies. And the prophet Isaiah says to him, Hezekiah, you've made a mistake. Your showing all the wealth to Babylon has not stirred friendship. In fact, it has stirred the onset of their coming and ransacking you. And rather than Hezekiah, rather than Hezekiah falling on his face and, and saying, no, God, don't allow this to happen. Because Isaiah tells him very specifically, your son, your son, your legacy You've shown them all the wealth, and it's going to be your son and your grandsons that are going to be ransacked. They're going to be pillaged by the Babylonians. Rather than Hezekiah falling down on his face and repenting and saying, Yahweh, I trust you. Please don't, don't allow my son and my grandsons and my granddaughters to be ransacked by Babylon. Instead, Hezekiah says, oh, great. No problem. At least it's going to be good in my life. That's literally what he says. That's, that's like a literal, almost word-for-word translation. Hezekiah, at the end of his life, rather than listening to God's words to him, in leaving a legacy, turns a deaf ear. Guys, we need to be praying. I'm praying for Taproot Church and trying to hear what God wants to do when this church is five generations old. We should be thinking long-term. What decisions and what does God want to do with us? Not only us, but our sons and daughters. What kind of church are they going to have here? And then what kind of church are our kids going to have? If we're thinking big, if we're thinking plural, and if we're thinking national community, and if we're thinking legacy, now we're kind of looking God in the face and he's speaking a lot more clearly. Beyond this, God speaks to us cosmically. What do I mean by this? The New Testament is insane because it describes Paul, describes the church as this picture. God has established the church for the sake of the nations, but God has also raised up the church to show powers and principalities, Paul calls them, how awesome God is. What Paul is saying there is that God uses us to show demons and angels and all these metaphysical creatures that we can't see, God uses the church to show them how great and wise his plan is, how gracious he is, how glorious he is. The best way to illustrate this is when we're trying to ask God to speak to us about why we're suffering. This is fascinating to me, and it's been a real comfort to my heart over the years now since I learned this. We go to God and we say, why am I suffering? And we want to hear him say, well, it's because you did wrong, it's because you did this, it's because, it's because I'm trying to form you in Jesus. Maybe some of those things are all true. But what we learn from the book of Job in particular is that God uses our suffering to show how great he is to angels and demons. Real quickly, real quickly, the book of Job. The story goes that there's this man, Job, he's called the most righteous man in, 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 in existence. 
And there's this parting of the curtains, this heavenly scene where this being is before Yahweh, before God. He's just simply called the adversary, the, the Hasatan, the Satan, the opponent. And this Satan looks at God and he says about Job, hey, you've really blessed Job. He's wealthy, he's healthy, he's got a great family. But you know what? I bet you if you bust him up, if you take some of that from him, he's going to, he's going to bail on you. And God says, okay, go for it. You can take his health, you can take his wealth, you can even take his family. So Job's 10 kids are killed. All of his wealth is stolen by the Sabians. And then you get into the book three chapters in and, and this man is covered in boils and, and just disgusting sickness and almost like a leprosy. And through the entirety of the book, Job is like screaming at God, speak to me, tell me what I've done, what have I done wrong? And God is silent. But for us, the readers, we understand that this Hasatan is watching the whole thing, the whole thing. There's all these religious friends that come to him and say, well, obviously you're in big trouble with God. You obviously sinned. And Job's like, no, I didn't. I've been righteous. And Job never gets an explanation from God. The only thing that God says to Job at the end of the book is, hey, do you know when mountain goats are having babies? <laughs> do you know why an ostrich can run faster than a horse, but it's so dumb it will step on its eggs? <laughs> God puts Job in front of him, and the only thing that God says is, hey, Job, you've come really close to even saying that I'm bad. You didn't say it. Good job, Job. Do you know how the stars got flung out into the universe? All God says to Job is, in your suffering, you just need to know that I'm big and awesome and more wise than you are. And Job says, you're right. I can't say anything. I love you. But we, the reader, we, the reader, we see that behind the scenes, this angelic host is watching that happen. It's incredible. What if, dear brother or sister, what if your thanksgiving in the midst of cancer is causing Satan to flee. It helps make sense of this suffering. To listen to God and understand that there are these cosmic activities at play. It's so helpful. So when we go to speak to the Lord about what he wants to do with us or why this is happening to us, we need to think in plural, we need to think nationally, we need to think legacy, and then we need to think, okay, there's something cosmic going on. And then finally, he speaks to us for eternity. He is indeed preparing for us a great weight of glory. Third this morning, and we'll wrap up. We position ourselves in the basics, prayer and the Bible. I hope that every one of you find yourself stirred by that, repentant, saying, okay, I am going to be reading my Bible. I am going to be praying. Second, we position ourselves in community. And now, finally, to hear the gospel or to hear the voice of God, we have to hear him in the gospel. We position, we position ourselves in the gospel. We position ourselves in the gospel. Number three, we have to believe to hear the voice of God that he actually speaks and that he wants to speak to us. This is difficult for us. But the gospel proves to us, the gospel teaches us, the gospel says that God finds you so infinitely valuable he finds you so infinitely worthy. He is so deeply in love with you. You are such a treasure to him. He so wants to have you 
and be with you and guide you that he would come and die for you. To actually hear him speak, to actually hear his voice begins here in the gospel, believing that you are infinitely loved to the degree that he would die for you and that he actually does want to speak to you. There's this amazing little moment here where in verse 3, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. He says that he knows them by name. He knows them by name. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Knowing them by name. It's amazing that in the Bible, name means so much more than just John or Joe or Sally or Harry or whatever. Name in the Bible means who you are. There's significance attached to naming. There's, in fact, whenever a new mission is given, Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Saul to Paul, Cephas to Peter, name changes because God attaches significance and meaning and purpose behind the name. And so here, Jesus is saying, look, I know you by your name. I know your character. I know your dreams. I know your fears. I know your hurt. I know the shameful things. I know the guilty things. I know everything about you. And yet, and yet, I want to be with you. And I want to speak to you. And I want to guide you. And I want to be near you. I am your shepherd, a good shepherd that knows everything about you. To hear his voice means you have to clear away the clutter of guilt. You have to clear away the clutter of shame in the gospel. You have to sense and experience his love through the gospel so that you can actually hear the truth of his voice speaking to you. Now second, positioning ourselves in the gospel not only means that we hear his love for us, but we recognize that we are actually totally his. Jesus calls us his own sheep. The Bible talks about how, and the gospel proclaims, that when Jesus died on the cross for you, he purchased you. He made you his son, his daughter. He made you essentially his slave in the best sense of the word. He bought you. And so to hear him more clearly, to hear him more clearly, you really do have to be his completely. Let me ask you guys, maybe, maybe this is just me. Have you ever been in your basement and you hear your wife upstairs? Hey, could you come up and do the dishes? And you're sitting on the couch and 15 minutes later, Danny, hey, I need your help. Could you come up and do the dishes? And, and you're acting like you don't hear because you just don't want to do the dishes. Am I the only sinner in the room? Do you guys do this? Thank you. Thank you. Some, some holy confessor, Chase, you're absolved, my friend. You're absolved of all your guilt and shame, brother. Um, <laughs> the, po- the point that I'm trying to make here is Jesus owns you, and he's going to tell you to do things that you do not want to do. And unless you absolutely believe the gospel that he bought you completely, you'll act like you don't hear. You will. You'll be like, I didn't hear that. I, I'm not sure he actually said that. I'm not sure he actually said that this is going to be uncomfortable. Uh, I'm not sure that he actually said that I'm supposed to be part of doing this. I'm not sure you'll act like you don't hear. But when when you finally say, no, I'm wholly committed, whatever he says, whatever he says to let go of, to believe, to do, 
Now you're going to hear his voice the most clearly. I want to address something that has kind of risen to the surface in this incredible time in our church as conversations are going on. What has been a blessing to me is many of the conversations that have come back as, as people like consider what would it look like if Danny was actually gone, if the Braga family was sent by us. And some, some have been coming and they've been saying, man, what would my responsibility be? I feel like I would have a weightier responsibility. Like that means that, that I have to commit to doing this and then I've got to pick up this piece here. And, and wait, that means that, the, that means that I'm part of Taproot Church not just because of Danny's preaching, but I'm part of Taproot Church. I have to commit to this church as a family. And those are incredible. It's like some people are saying, okay, if this, is what, if this may happen, then I've got to figure out how do I go? How do I obey? How do I listen? How do I get more involved? How do I take more responsibility? Some, some. And I think this is, this next statement, I think it's probably rooted because your church experience has been painful. So I don't want this to sound condemning or hurtful or obnoxious to you. But I I do think that some are saying, you know what, I think I'm going to pull back a little bit. Well, I'm just going to, I'm going to pull back and I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait and I'm going to just see what happens. You know, I'm not going to ask, how do I get more involved? I'm not going to get more committed. In fact, I'm going to get less committed because, you know, I got to figure out what, how do I protect kind of my little, my little world? I don't want to get hurt again. I don't want to be vulnerable. This is scary. This is unsettling. And here's my pastoral admonition. If that's kind of been your heart in this process, rather than like, okay, full bore, whether Danny goes or Danny stays, like I've got to figure out what God is calling me to do in this community. If, if you've been more like, I think I'm going to pull back. I think I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to see maybe what happens. Here's my pastoral admonition to you. You won't be, you, it's, in, it's impossible for you to hear God's voice if you're pulling back. It's impossible. It's a tragedy. And when we look at the imagery here of John 10, what we see is a community of sheep and the shepherd comes in and, and the sheep are together and he's leading them. And so you actually have to be in the fold, in the community of sheep to be led. Can you imagine, just imagine this hilarious scene. It's a weird image, but it made me laugh as I was thinking through this the other day. Imagine there, there's this community of sheep and the shepherd comes in and then like one sheep just is like, oh, oh I don't know what's going on. I think, I think I'm gonna just kind of sit up here on the fence Legs crossed, maybe light up a smoke, whatever. This is the image that came to my head. I don't know why the sheep was smoking. It just was. (laughs) I'm in counseling for this kind of stuff, so. Can you imagine a sheep sitting up on the the fence saying, "Eh, I'm going to wait and see while the shepherd is leading the sheep out to green pastures. That sheep is left there alone. The sheep actually can't hear. The sheep is left behind. And your good shepherd today, it's scary. What we are messing around with in this church right now with these conversations is scary. It is without question one of the most destabilizing leadership decisions I've ever made in concert with my elders to bring this to an entire community of faith. And so it is wobbly and it is scary. And this is the time where we press in as a family. 
We don't step back and say, well, if Danny leaves, I don't know. I may, I may need to you know, step back even further. No, 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 no. This is the time where each one of us press in even more fervently. And we say, shepherd, I want to hear your voice. And I want to be in the fold. I want to be committed and following and hearing what you're saying. So that when the spirit does just finally bring consensus, whatever that looks like, and it's like, the Braggas are staying. They're here for 50 years. Now you know what your part is in this whole system already. Or, no, the Braggas are going to be sent, and this is the plan that we're going to unfold. Now you know, and you're there with the shepherd hearing his voice. Let me highlight, and then we'll, and then we'll wrap up, some strangers' voices. The strangers' voices that we need to discern. Strangers' voices that we need to discern and flee from. In a situation, whether it's, whether it's your personal kind of life decisions or our church decisions or, or just general decisions in general, there are false voices that we need to discern and say, that's a stranger's voice, I'm not going to listen to that. And I've just listed them there for you. Uh, opinion versus obedience. There is so much opinion that is not Bible-led, prayer-soaked opinion in, in the church in general. Not, I'm not even talking about this situation. I'm just talking about Christians who, who have this opinion that's either a political opinion or it's a, an intellectual or a philosophical opinion, but you ask for chapter and verse, and if they prayed over that opinion for 15 minutes, and what? No, this is my opinion, and my opinion is more valuable than actually obedience. Obedience. The true voice of the shepherd is going to call us to cast opinions aside and with a ridiculous abandon, obey him in whatever he guides us to. Number two, false voice of busyness versus belief. I am just as guilty of this as all of you. Hey, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm so busy. <laughs> what was your week like? Oh, just hammered. I'm buried. I'm so busy. <laughs> Busyness is a screaming megaphone in our ears versus belief. And here's what I mean. Our behavior is always determined by our belief, meaning we always pursue what we believe will be best for ourselves, which means if we are busy about all sorts of different things, we are displaying a belief that those are the most necessary things in our lives. But deep Christian belief that says, I want to hear my good shepherd says, you know, the things that are keeping me unbelievably busy, the performance stuff, the, the busyness of this, the busyness of that, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe that if I'll get still and quiet and spend that hour with God in the morning, that he will speak. The false voice of busyness says, you got to go, you got to make this happen, you got to make that happen, you got to go, and, and the shepherd is there waiting for you to slow down, to stop being so busy, and to just believe that he's good, that he speaks to you. Number three, Demand versus dependence. We all hear the voice of demand. And what I mean by this is, we, <laughs> at least I do this, we come to God and we say, speak to me. And then, behind all of that, reading between the lines, kind of in our heart of hearts, we're like, and say this in this way at this moment, right? So, like, I, I'm just full of confession here this morning for you guys. This is me in my prayers, literally. God, I need you to speak to me, and I want to experience your love, and I want your love to be feeling like butterflies and floating up on a cloud, and if that doesn't happen, then you don't love me. <laughs> it's demand versus dependence. 
The true voice of the shepherd and to hear his voice means that you come and you say, speak to me. And he remains silent. And you say, thank you. God, I want to experience your love. And you don't. You depend on what he gives and the way he says it in any given moment. And that, the, the paradox of this is that the silence is his voice. The sense of longing is his presence. I know that sounds paradoxical, somewhat mystical, but it's the way that we really begin to hear him. The silence is his voice. And the longing to be near him is, is in that longing, is his presence. I think also within our demands, there's a real cynicism. A lot of us try to guard our hearts. We say, well, I'm not going to believe that God wants to speak to me so that when he doesn't, my heart won't be hurt. And that's just trying to control God. That's just putting yourself on the throne and trying to be in control of who he is and demanding of him things that, that God will not be taken hostage by us. He just won't. He's too in love with us to be taken hostage by us. Number four, false voice. Feelings above faith. Feelings. There's, there's nothing wrong with feelings. We are holistic beings. Our emotions are important. In fact, our emotions guide us. Our emotions can direct us. But in a panicked culture, we are a non-anxious presence. The church of all people are to be a non-anxious presence in the midst of fear, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of worry. And so when you're trying to hear the voice of God in the scriptures, through prayer, in community, listening nationally, listening to legacy, listening to all these cosmic amazing things, oftentimes fear and anxiety and worry will be the voice that we're listening to the most. And the shepherd will just come and say, I want you to trust me. I want you to let go of these things. And there is where I'm going to be speaking to you. Finally, uh, and this is a doozy, um, apathy versus awareness. Apathy. We just flat out don't care. We don't care to actually hear his voice. The, the pain isn't deep enough yet. You know, we're comfortable uh, we've got food on the table. We've got a roof over our house. Things are going relatively well in the marriage and at the job and, or in our studies and in, in our pursuit of living a, a life of, of holiness. We're, we're not really uh, beaten down by some particular sin in the moment. And so, you know, we just don't care. And that, that apathy is a drunken stupor that we're warned about all the time to be aware of, to be sober-minded, to hear the voice of the shepherd is to be constantly, constantly caring about what he wants and where he is in the midst of any given moment, whether it's doing the dishes or trying to decide, does this church send this family as an apostolic family or trying to, trying to hear his voice on what he wants for your neighbors, what he wants for this city, what he wants for the West Coast. If we don't care then, then there's no way that we're actually going to be aware of when he is speaking to us. And so as American Christians, and again, I'm one of them, as Western Christians, I, I really would exhort all of us to do some heart searching. Do you care? Let me ask you guys honestly a very personal question. I have made myself absolutely the most vulnerable I ever have with a community of people. Have you prayed 
for my wife and I and for this situation. Like, have you really? Do you care? Do you care about this church? Have you prayed for Taproot Church and said, Father, speak to me about this church and this season? Because if you care, you will. Just be, I'm just, I'm putting that out there for all of us. And this is on me as well. Like, I have to ask myself, what are the things that I care about the most and that I'm praying about the most and I'm the most aware of? Finally, finally, you always have to get through the bad to get to the good. You may be sitting there saying, uh, I'm overwhelmed and I fail. And you know what? I, I listen to feelings more than I listen to faith. And I definitely make demands of God. What are we supposed to do with that? We go back and we position ourselves in the gospel. This is what we close with. Position yourself in the gospel here today. Think about this. Jesus, the great shepherd, became, Jesus, the, the perfect human, became a sheep so that you, the sheep, could become a perfect human. <laughs> the Bible says that Jesus was what? A lamb slain, a lamb slain. The great shepherd took your place and became the nameless one so that you could have a name. The great, the great shepherd was actually abandoned and isolated and devoured by the wolves so that you wouldn't be. Hear his voice. Jesus, as we prepare now to take communion, you remind us that indeed, indeed, you, the great shepherd, were the lamb slain. And so, Father, we, we thank you for that truth. And we ask you, God, to, to settle our hearts here on this beautiful, sunny Sunday morning you're speaking through the birds in the trees. You're speaking through the soft wind on our face this afternoon as we enjoy your creation. You're speaking of your love towards us. You speak personally to us today by name. And you became nameless and abandoned to bring us into the fold. May that open our ears. Give us ears to hear today. Father, as we worship you, we give thanks that indeed all of our guilt and all of our shame has been put on Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. May we hear the truth that we are today innocent. It's ridiculous. The gospel is so crazy. Today, we are totally innocent. Lord, I want to pray for any of these precious sheep of yours. It, this is a scary time. It's, it's, it's dis. Oh, it's discombobulating. It feels like we're in disequilibrium and what's next and what steps and how is this all working and what's gonna happen and, and we all get skiddy. I get skiddy. Settle us as a flock today. Settle us. Settle this church as a flock in the fold, listening to the voice of our shepherd. May we hear his words saying so clearly, I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. Father, the ones that are straggling behind, either out of previous wounds or fear or vulnerability, may you draw them in closely. God, for the rest of Taproot Church, that she's just out there partying in the sun today, may you bless her. May she hear your voice today. 
May the saints of this church be bound to you. And here on this gorgeous Sunday morning, may we all have a sense of your spirit uniting us with one cause, the cause of Jesus Christ. And so we sing to you now and we partake of communion together as a family. Thank you, Good Shepherd, for dying for us. In Jesus' name.